Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 324 of the podcast. With me today is a very special guest, Mr. Brent Abel. Brent, what's up? And 324, that's a big fat round number. It's a nice, yeah, uh, 324. There's something kind of satisfying about that one. Good for you, man. Listen, well, listen, I really uh, appreciate you taking the time and, and uh, letting me join you today. I'm doing great. I'm here in uh, Northern California, a little bit east of San Francisco, Berkeley, a little town called Moraga, and um, all is good. Awesome. So for those few of you who are not familiar with Brent, Brent, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. The early, uh, Actually, I think about a week or two ago, your name came up in conversation with, with somebody else. And this other person said, oh, who's, who's Brent Abel? And I described you as an OG of the online tennis instruction space. Do you know, do you know what OG means? Well, I, <laughs> I see it all the time and I don't. All, all that I can think of, OG is an older guy. But no. No. <laughs> no, it stands for original gangster. You're, you're an oh, original gangster cool. of the online oh. tennis Tennis, but it gangster in a good way. You know, you're, cool. you're like one of the, cool. the godfathers of... No, no, I'll take that as a compliment for absolutely, sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've loved following your content. Brent, for the few of you who are not familiar with him, he's the founder of webtennis.net. And you may be familiar with some of his... He's had several different series over the years. Um, recently, What's the Right Shot has been an awesome one. He hosted the Web Tennis Show uh, podcast on iTunes. And recently, he's the co-host of Gold Ball Hunting, which, Brent, you've done 99 episodes in 2019 alone. You started it this year, but 99 episodes this year is pretty incredible. Nice well, job well actually, I, I, I need to correct you on that. We're actually up to we, – we just published 206 today. Oh, wow. Holy cow. So there's only 99 on iTunes then, but you've done 206? Well, there should be more than that. I mean um, – yeah, we've done 206. We are we are publishing every day, you know, uh, probably awesome. like you with with some of your content. Not actually recording every day. We're sort of batch recording with my my partner in this project, Jeff Jacklich. But you know, we'll 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 get on a record maybe a couple times a week, batch say three or four at a time, and then and then schedule them out. But you know, our goal has been we started this thing and in January was to. Uh, all right, well, let's go for 365 episodes and see if we still like each other after that. And uh, so we're more than halfway there. And um, it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, a, a lot of fun. And and uh, I want to correct one thing. Yeah, webtennis.net was my original domain when I first got it in 1999 because webtennis.com was being um, – some some guy in South America was cyber squatting on it, uh, and it took me a couple of years to be able to get the guy to, you know, convince him. You know, since you're not doing anything with it, <laughs> um, so eventually I got that that domain, and that's really where I'm doing all my stuff right now is over at webtennis.com. All right, well, thank you. Appreciate the corrections. It makes me feel like I've been around for a long time because back back in the day, that's where I used to go to check out what you were up to as webtennis.net. So uh, great to hear that you got the domain, and that's, that's incredible that you're shooting for 365 with gold ball hunting. We'll definitely circle back to that really quickly. I want to I want to 
cue people in on what you're doing as a player as well. Because for me, watching you over the, the years, Brent, that's what I've personally, and I, I know I've told you this many times, what I'm personally most impressed with is you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk as well as a, as a player. You're out there grinding, you're working on your game, you're developing yourself as a player, and you're competing as well regularly. And Brent has won, and feel free to correct these as well, but based on my research, uh, Brent's won nine national tournaments, nine gold balls, and he's currently on the ITF uh, website, ranked as number 59 internationally in men's 70s. So Brent, amazing work there, and kudos to you for continuing to work hard. That, that's incredible. Well, look, I mean, uh, well, and, and first of all, yeah, a, a correction, uh, I did yeah. get... I get, I did get number ten earlier oh, this year. Awesome! Congrats. Yeah, so it's kind of fun to be able to sort of have a double digit number by your name with that thing. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you know, so it's been, it's really been well. When I turned fifty in nineteen ninety eight, I kind of had this epiphany, which was, uh, or maybe this more of a, it was more of a realization that. You know, I've been teaching tennis full time at that at that moment for probably 25 years. When I when I turned 50, at various clubs around the country, and and you know the classic tennis director head pro where you're where you're teaching a good you know 30 hours a week, yep. and 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 back when I was an assistant pro it was you know it was 40 plus. Well, when I turned 50, I just sort of said, you know what, I, I can't do this for the rest of my life, and so fortunately. There was this thing called the internet that was starting to get some legs, and I was just hoping there was maybe an application somewhere down the road mm. for for me to be doing what I'm now doing at WebTennis.com, what what you've been doing so successfully with your with your uh, online stuff, Ian. And and but you know, in 1999 when I got my first domain, it was there was there was dial up, there was no high speed, there was no video, there was no audio. You had to just write stuff out, yeah. and who knew what was going to be be possible but what that's allowed me to do what this online business has allowed me to do is to is to be able to do what you just described which is go out and train because i love to compete i love to play and and start playing some and and so i retired from full-time club stuff in 2005 california tennis club in san francisco and uh, I built up webtennis.com just just enough to where I thought that you know what if I do this thing full time on my own, I can probably replace that income. And you know, sure enough, that's what's happened. So um, it's it's allowed me to do um, the thing I love, and that's to go out there and compete and travel and play some tournaments. There is a risk, Ian. Right? Is that you go out there and like you say, you know, it's more than just talking the talk. It's actually it's walking the thing too, and that sure. you know you, you got to put yourself out there. And there are times when, when uh, you know, it's a risk. Sure, <laughs> you might have a bad loss and have to kind of come back to the next broadcast your email list with your tail between your legs and go, ah, I kind of screwed that one up. But I think that everyone realizes that that that's part of the credibility is that it's um, you know it's an ongoing effort. It's an ongoing effort to. To keep playing, to keep practicing, and 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 uh, and to keep uh, competing, and uh, and just let it take you wherever it goes. So I'm enjoying it. 
So let's let's talk about that journey. That's really going to be our, our focus topic today. Brent and I talked a little bit earlier today, and there's kind of two transition points, Brent, that I'd, I'd love to get your insight on, and I, I know my listeners are going to appreciate your insight a lot. And transition point number one is from kind of the youngster, whippersnapper, tennis player to to more middle-aged where we've got to be a little bit more mindful and intentional about how we take care of our bodies. And then the second kind of transition or pivot point from middle-aged to more senior tennis and the making that transition there and being successful and continuing to develop and improve and, and win. And I think, that unfortunately, there's a big misunderstanding or misconception among tennis players that as you get older, as you transition from 40s to 50s to 60s, that you just basically have to accept that your game is going to go downhill fast and there's there's no chance you're going to learn anything new because you're getting older, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I know that that just watching your you know arc, that's absolutely, absolutely doesn't have to be that way. So let's start with the kind of that first transition point. Well, actually, any just kind of initial thoughts based on what I just said, and then we'll start with the whippersnapper to, to middle age transition. Yeah. Um, no, I think you, I thought you articulated it really, really well. And that, um, I think there's, there's sort of a sense, um, with most teaching pros at clubs, uh, with their on-court students. And there's a sense on YouTube and I think, um, a lot of online instruction where where the thing that's going to move the needle for you to get better is going to be to just devote most of your time into into grinding through better better stroke technique, trying to improve stroke technique. Sure. And and that's not been my that's not been my experience with my game, and that's not been the experience that I've seen with other guys who've gone through the transition that you just described, going from a younger player to a middle age to, you know, someone who's in my age group now, which is, you know, second year in the seventies. And, and, and it really, really is, is much more about tactics and strategies and, uh, you know, along with taking care of your body, there's no question about that, that if you don't have that, if you don't have the kitchen worked out or if you don't have the off court training thing worked out, I don't care how great a stroke technique you have. I don't care how well you played on the tour for a couple of years back in the day, or if you were a great junior, great, a great college player. By the time you get into the seniors and, and start to age up, the guys who've, who've really spent a lot of time doing the right thing in the kitchen and also, also doing the right thing off the court in terms of training, they can actually keep getting to tennis balls throughout a, a long three-set, two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour match where – where someone who, who who hasn't taken care of that part, no matter how great their stroke technique is, they don't they just don't win those matches. Mm. So, um, I mean, my 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 story is that I was not a great junior player. Um, I was a mediocre, uh, you know, mediocre. I should I mean my 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 college story playing tennis is is really strange. Uh, it I wasn't. You know, I, I I went to I went to San Francisco State when I was in my early 30s because I wanted to take some real estate classes, and I went over there. And I knew the college, and I, I knew the I knew the tennis coach, and he he said, "Well, you know what? I think you've got some eligibility. You know, you want to play in the team." Awesome. And so here I am. I'm like 33, 
And I'm going, I got nothing to lose by doing this. I mean, you know, I'm going to classes in the morning. I got some afternoon time. So so I played two years at San Francisco State. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity to play number one in a good D2 division where I get to play all the number one guys. I got to train every afternoon with a bunch of young studs. And, and just being able to do that really helped me improve my tennis a lot. Um, and... And, 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 and yet I didn't have, I didn't have really any kind of a, you know, fantastic college career that you could go, um, well, you know, well, that's maybe why you're so good. Or maybe that's why you win, you know, titles sure. is because you had a great, that's, it's that's an NCAA that's championship or something like that. No, I mean, I got invited both years to go to the, um, NCAA division two. Mm-hmm. I think I lost first round in both years, but you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. Um, but I did win my first national senior uh, title, gold ball, um, 1984, in the 35 hardcore doubles. And my partner and I were unseated, and and um, and we just kind of went through it. And it was a full draw, 64, and we ended up just kind of having one of those weeks, right, where everything came together. And um, I didn't win my next title until 25 years later, and that wow. was in the 60s. And that was the uh, that was the national sixty hard courts um, singles, and really, it's kind of interesting that we're that we're talking about this because I was talking with my my partner over Go Ball Hunting, Jeff Jacklitch, yesterday about what's happened to my game since I won my second gold ball in the sixties, which was my, which was you know in two thousand nine. So for those 25 years, and I played a lot, I took a few years off, you know, in terms of raising kids and that kind of stuff between the first and the second gold ball. But I was still playing a lot, training a lot and doing what I could. And I, I was pure serve and volley, mm. pure. And I mean, I, it was literally, I still, you know, even that, that first, second year in the 60s, I could physically still serve and volley effectively enough, well enough. I had a good serve. Decent high bouncing topspin, um, you know, slight kick second serve that would allow me to get in and not give the guy the advantage over there. And I and I could volley, you know, volley. or I could half volley or I could do whatever I had to do. But that was my one and only style of play. And in terms of returning serve, uh, I would take second serves and just chip and charge all day long. I mean, I just figured. And if I got stuck on the baseline, I mean, literally every ball looked like an approach shot opportunity to <laughs> For me, it was it was kind of goofy, but I can relate to that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so I mean, I remember distinctly when I realized that that I need to start doing something different, and and that was in two thousand nine. It was right after I'd won the the hard courts singles hard courts. I got selected to play on my first USA World Cup team. Uh, which that year was played in Perth, Australia, and we were playing on on the artificial grass at Richardson Park in uh, in, in Perth. And the first week's the team event, and we ended up barely losing one match in the finals to Spain. So we ended up with the silver, the silver medal on that. But the following week, they played the individuals, the the world individuals, and I, I had a, and we were playing an artificial grass, like I said, kind of this plastic stuff with some sand thrown on it, um, and. The in the first couple of rounds, um, I'd actually I played well. I had a couple of good wins. The conditions were perfect for serve and volley, which was was still all I knew at that point. 
And then we got in the quarters and I had to play a guy from Australia and it had rained the night before. And so that morning we were scheduled for eight and they kind of hesitated putting us out a little bit at eight o'clock. They waited till about nine and the courts were still, I didn't think were, you know, they certainly weren't the same condition as they were the a couple of days before. So I go out there and the court's a little bit, just a little bit damp. And the very first point of the match, I serve, I come in behind it, go into my split step and it is both legs go straight out. Crap. I mean, it is like, it's like, it it was scary, right? Because you wonder, all right, well, what, what have I completely torn apart here? And so as I'm kind of getting back up, I'm just realizing I'm screwed. It reminds I mean, me of uh, the Bethany Maddox Sands injury a couple years ago. Did you see that one at Wimbledon? I did. That was just horrific. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, well, I got lucky. I mean, I, I didn't get hurt, um, but as I was kind of literally standing back up, as this, you know, I'm thinking to myself after the first point, well, what am I going to do? Because I can't, I can't, I can't split step. And you obviously got to have a split step for serve and volley or for chip and charge when you're coming in or approaching. And I just hadn't spent any time on the baseline game. I mean, either just out of pure laziness or whatever. But um, I kind of came away with this epiphany or this realization that, you know what, uh, I ended up losing that match and went back home and and just realized, you know, I got to start getting comfortable back in the baseline. And 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 so. It, it, it took a couple years for me to sort of mentally make that shift of staying comfortable back there. But, but since then, since then, <laughs> since that realization, since working on um, becoming more of an all-court player, I've won eight more gold balls. And that's been in, that's been in the last 10 years. So there's no question that there was uh, a big-time epiphany, a big-time aha moment that really I had to I had to make some adjustments. And the adjustments weren't getting better at certain volley. The adjustments were simply um, I've got to do some other things tactically because there's lots of other reasons why we can't serve in volley. It could be that that you're that that your serve on that day, you're pumping it in, but it's just working into this opponent's honeypot. Yep. And he's just not having any problem with it. And so there's lots of, and and it could be just you know the courts have slowed down. I mean, and I'm playing a lot more on clay now, and and so um, I guess that's sort of that's 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 the reason I think to get back to your to what you just articulated about you know to me it's really less about working on stroke technique and it's way more about what can we do tactically and strategically to enhance the tools that we've already got, to enhance the, um, uh, you know, the shot tools that we've already got. And for me, it was just going, well, I need to stay back in the baseline. And really what I developed out of all that was just kind of a standard, you know, not, not a heavy top forehand, but a, a semi, um, you know, repeatable, rarely miss rally ball that doesn't give the guy the advantage. And then, really worked on a slice backhand that has opened up has opened up tactically the game for me where before I was just really a one trick pony. I mean there are so many shots that the slice backhand opens up tactically that and I, I tell a lot of guys to say, you know, if you're if you're not working on your slice backhand, 
um, you are limiting. I mean, if you're just thinking it's going to be a two-hander topper or a one-hander heavy topper, you know, you've just you've just reduced what you can do out there. And and in senior tennis, it's really no longer about can I pump big heavy winners to each one of the corners and get it by the guy because uh, we don't have we don't have the same power that we used to even with the big rackets, even with the string technology. So it's really much more, how can you learn the, ge- the geometry of, 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 of the court in such a way that I, and I, always, I used to always think, Ian, that an all-court player meant that, that, that me, I got to be good at visiting all parts of the court. And I kind of, re- I kind of revised what an all-court player is. I think it's really, can you force your opponent to visit all parts of the court hmm. over there, and and if you can do that, then then tactically you can really compete, really at whatever level. But but certainly as we get older, um, you compete effectively and and you know really contend for national titles. So I'd love to dive into the the specific tactics and tools, and I want to circle back to you mentioned the word kitchen a couple of times, which I think. A lot of people, if they weren't paying attention, may have assumed that that was kind of code for some kind of special secret like tennis thing. But I'm assuming you mean actually eating differently. I definitely want to come back around to that as well. Sure. But uh, but first, tell me a little bit about your mindset and your, your mentality. Because at the point that you made that mental shift from being kind of a pure net rusher to an all-court player... You're already in your 60s. I feel like most people at that point are just mentally thinking, "Well, it's pretty much the end of the it's pretty much the end of the road for me. I'm just gonna double down on whatever it is I'm comfortable with already, because there's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna develop a completely different part of my game at this point in my career. So, what was it? If you can kind of think back to that period what was your mindset like and why why do you think you were thinking differently than most players and as you said most coaches advising players at that age would normally be thinking yeah yeah i mean that's a really good question is well for me it was just it was just a a slap in the face realization that that um you've got to do something else besides just serve and volley and besides just chip and charge because if you if if you don't um, then you're not going to be able to continue to compete at the level that you want to compete at. And and for me, look, I, you know, I, I'd already won a couple of national titles, so I knew that I, I knew that that I was close enough to be able to continue to refine. And that's one of the great things about the game of tennis. It's like the internet, right? We never really find the end of the thing, mm-hmm. right? You never really get this whole package figured out. So. There's always something that you can do, and 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 I never really had that. I never really had that thought that you just described. Well, this is it. It's over. I can't do anything more. So <laughs> I'm sure you'd heard it expressed though by maybe your peers or you know it's it's a pretty common attitude I would say in tennis in general. Would you agree? Yeah. No. I th- I think it is, and I think that I think it ranges from. From players who go, well, I just can't do that kind of style, or I can't, right. I can't learn that kind of shot, or I've got a knee injury that is just permanent. Yep. So that means that I can't do this, and it's all these I can'ts. Whereas, 
if you just kind of help players with tactically, well, maybe there's some other things you can do with the tools that you've already got that you just haven't thought about yet. Maybe there's some court positioning things that you can do that really have nothing to do with stroke technique or really trying to, you know, you know, at, at, at 70 years old, you know, develop a nasty high bouncing kicker. Well, maybe there's some other ways that you can neutralize that returner over there that have to do with, with getting better with accuracy, getting better with, with the skies and getting better with your, with your, court positioning after you serve. I'm just using that as an example. But, sure. you know, really what I did is I went out and I didn't study the pros. I, I just decided that at, at 60 years old that trying to copy what those guys were doing were was, was just not the answer that I thought I needed to be able to to make a shift. And, and so I went out and, and really started to study the guys in my age group, started to study the guys who, who throughout the years were – were winning national titles and what i came away with is that these guys weren't weren't either just serving volleyers or weren't either just kind of on the other end sort of guys who just pushed the ball and stayed back behind the baseline and and you know forced you in to try to go for something or so it was really more in between and 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 when i really when i really sort of took stock of it um, it just was that realization. You know what? You've got to get comfortable back here. Not that you're, not that you're changing from being only serve and volley, or only chip and charge, but that you're adding another dimension to your game. And and I'm and look. There are still some matches in where the right choice for me against this opponent with the conditions that we have today, I got to be serving and volleying probably seventy five percent, eighty percent of the time. Sure. And the other hand, there could be other conditions where, I mean, we've got we've got a couple of guys, but one guy I'm thinking about in my age group who is the ultimate high quality, you know, what we all call pusher. I mean, just <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can write all the bullet points down of what a high quality pusher is. And this guy, you know, this guy checks off every one of those boxes. I like how you, like how you put high quality in front of the uh, the derogatory pusher term. That's, that's well, nice. Because to me, it's a it's it's a strategy that works absolutely, and and so to 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 say it's a derogatory term is <laughs> is really being in denial, right? Of totally the fact agree. that if you want to put your butt out there and actually play some tournaments, or if you're playing league matches, you're going to run up against that that kind of player. No question. And and you got to know what's the right strategy. And for me, against that guy, it's not pure serve and volley. But it's not also to get into his game, which is to serve and stay back. It's really to serve and come in about three feet and and make sure that he can't just junk ball me to death, you know, with, with things that land about five feet in front of the baseline. And now I'm back behind the baseline trying to trying to deal with that. It's probably a you know story for another for another episode. But but if if I hadn't developed um, that baseline game. I don't think I'd be beating this guy. And it's interesting because this guy I'm thinking about was sort of a national, you know, round of 16 national quarterfinalist for a long time. And then all of a sudden, as we've gotten older, some of the guys don't move as well. Some of the guys have gotten injured. He's continued to stay in unbelievable condition. And now he's a regular quarterfinalist, a regular semifinalist. I mean, I, I, I beat him last year in the finals of the, of the hard courts in Los Angeles, um, in the finals. And so, 
it's a strategy that works. And 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 so for me, I, I just realized if I wanted to compete with every one of the types of players out there, um, I had to come back from that from that that thing in Australia and just start. First of all, I had to get comfortable back there. I actually had to start drilling and and just saying, well, God, can I count off three ground strokes in a row? And might sound kind of goofy, but but for my mindset at the time, that was that was a big exercise in desensitizing that that need, sort of that hyperventilating of of thinking, I gotta get in, man. I gotta get inside that 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 service line. I gotta force this guy to pass me. And it was weird because after a while I would start playing I start playing practice sets with the same thing. All right, all right, you can't go in on these practice sets until after the third ground stroke. And only if, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a fat approach side. And what I would find is I'd start counting them off. I go one, two, oh, ball didn't come back. All right, I guess I won that point. One, two, three, oh, the ball didn't come back. So for me, it was, it was the intellectual realization I've got to change and then it was the experience and practice of of realizing that God, I don't need to come in behind every every ball every point to win points I can actually stand back here and with even good ground strokers um, I can I can compete and 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 now I'm getting lots of points by not even having to hit a winner um, the ball's just not coming back so Look, I'll be honest with you. That was that was kind of a rough a rough transition for me. Probably took me a good solid year of of going through those drills and and just getting comfortable back there. And then once I got comfortable back there, then I really started to to figure out, well, there's a lot more I can do back here than just hit rally balls back into the court. Um I can start to play some drop shots. I can play some disguise this, disguise that. And I can be disruptive from the baseline out of the same look, right? I'm thinking more of the slice backhand. Out of the same look, I can show this guy probably half a dozen different shots. And once I create that uncertainty in his mind that it's not going to be another standard rally ball coming back, um, I start to unsettle them mentally. I start to get them to change their court positioning because they've got to honor not only the deep ball, but also a short dropper. And there's so many other shots that you can play off that slice backhand that, that I finally realized um, this, is, this is something I need to continue to hone. And I just found out it's just, it's fun. It's fun. I mean, when I first went with Mr. Tom Stowe, the guy who helped me back in the eighties. I and mean, he, we worked in approach shots all day long and I get bored with it. And he'd finally look at me, you go like one more basket. And the reason we're doing this is because this approaching this serve volley, this getting up to net, it's just a heck of a lot more fun to play this way. And, uh, of course at the time I was in my early thirties, he didn't really tell me, well, when you're 60, you might have to change. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean that's that's been that's been the process, and and since then, since I made that change, um, I mean I've become a better player. I mean over the last ten years, if I slowed down in terms of fits of in terms of foot speed, probably a little bit, but um, you know I've I've tweaked my training and I've tweaked I've tweaked the kitchen, my diet, and I mean I feel like I'm playing as well as I've ever played. 
um, of course, it's relative to your own age group as you go up. You know, we get we get a new age group every every five years. Um, but I just feel like I'm I'm more in the hunt now to get into the finals than I ever have before. So I don't think I don't think I would have done that if I had if I'd not made that shift um, after Australia. Awesome. I'd love to dig into taking care of the body, both um, kind of from a, a training and therapy and kind of rehab standpoint and also the, the diet and the kitchen part of it. But first, I'd, I'd love to, as I'm hearing your, your description, I'm, I'm just kind of picturing in my mind our kind of the average listener who's maybe 3.5 or 4.0 or, or 4.5, and maybe they're coming up on a big transition or they, they feel like they're coming up on a, a big transition from maybe 40s to 50s or 50s to 60s or 60s to 70s, whatever it is. And they're saying to themselves, Brent, this all sounds great, but yeah, you know, I understand you weren't some big like junior college player, but you already had two gold balls before you made this transition in your 60s. So Brent obviously must have had some kind of you know talents or dna or genetics like to, to work with to be able to basically take your kind of core playing style and make a, a pretty significant tweak to it so what would your uh what would your message be to a three five player or four oh player that isn't looking to win like national championships but just wants to maintain their edge at the level they're playing at now or maybe even continue to develop and move up to the the next level and it sounds kind of daunting to them to maybe change their actual style of play yeah yeah no it's it's i mean that's the that's that's the big reality check right there and and look i mean um i've been taking a lot of my students through through an exercise recently where we're really trying to trying to really kind of hunt down the one thing, mm. and and the one thing for everybody is different. It's it's never the same for everybody. So I can't give you a generic answer in terms of in terms of someone who, who's not even thinking about yeah you know fine great uh, you know that's 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 cool that you're playing for the national stuff. I don't have any interest in that. I just want to be the man every Wednesday night, right? Right. I want to be the woman every 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 Tuesday midday, whatever it is. And I and I totally get that, and I respect that. And uh, um, but so, I think that tell us about the one thing. I, um, I'm pretty sure I know what you mean by that. But ex- can you explain that? Yeah. And how do you recommend people think about maybe trying to figure out what their one thing is? Okay. Well, here I will. I'll I'll, I'll try to as briefly as possible kind of take you through this exercise and and what i have everyone do is is kind of get a sheet of paper and they divide it into four columns and on the top of the um on the top of the first column is technique and then the heading in the second column uh, are, are tactics slash strategies the heading in the third column um is mental and then the heading in the fourth column is physical and so what i say is in no particular order Let's go back to the first column, which is technique, in no particular order, write down the top three things stroke technique-wise that you think um, would make a, that, that, that you need to work on. And, and not just, well, my, well, just my forehand, you got to get more specific. You got to be saying, well, my forehand and maybe a certain situation. So maybe there's some technique part of it that's breaking down. And then I just say, like, write down three things that technique-wise, and again, they don't have to be in, in, in order of priority, 
but three things that 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 you can work on. And you know, when I do this exercise, I do I do talk about I do talk about my standard rally ball and for me it's 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 making contact further out in front. Mm. I just I'm I'm consistently I consist I mean I can make the shot but I can get more offensive, more swing free to if I'm further out in front. Um and, and so and and then and then the second column is going to be tactics and strategies. You know, what three three things in no particular order could you could you improve on tactically? For me, um, it's 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 probably doing more more serve and volley out wide of the deuce court hmm. uh, as a, as a as a right-handed player because I'm primarily I like to serve in the body. I like to try I like to tie up stroke technique as much as possible and um, and force that opponent to have to get out of the way of all out of, out of the way of the incoming serve. But one of the things I'm I'm doing more of now is is I'm working on getting getting the serve out wide more. That's not a technique thing because I can do it. I just need to practice tactically doing it, doing it more. Hmm. So I say write down three things like that. And I always give them the suggestions. What one thing I'm so it might it might jog their might jog their memory in terms sure. of what they need to work on. The third thing is mental. Right? And and mental could be um, I simply need to do a better job managing my between points time. You know, I need to come up with a routine for my between points time because we all know we end at what between points is eighty percent of the match, yep. and if you don't manage that, you're in trouble. For me, I, I I looked at mental as 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 more of that of that serve out wide and be more decisive with my with my cross court volley. So it was more of a mental thing. I was sort of just getting in there and being content, just to kind of shove it over their cross court and sort of get in a good position and force the guy, force the guy to pass me. Well, for me now, it's really more, no, I want to be more decisive. If I lose this point, I want to lose it because not because I'm going crazy with the volley. I'm not trying to hit a winner, but I'm just trying to stick it a little bit better. And if I miss it, I miss it. I'd rather lose it that way than just shoving it over there. It's sitting up and the guy passes me. And so write down three things mentally that, that um, that you think that you could get better at, and again, in no particular order. And then the fourth thing is the physical part. And the fourth thing is is generally, do you need to lose some weight? And if that's if that's true, then write down what that number is. And if it's not, then you don't have to write that down, right? But it could be agility. Hmm. It could be it could be it could be quickness. It could be endurance. Um, so and everyone's got sort of different things, and so. Assuming everyone's now written at least three, you could write more than three things down in each column. I then go back and I say, "All right, let's 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 go back to column one, which is technique. What's what's the one thing out of those things you've written down that if you if you just worked on that for the next thirty days, that you feel like maybe the other two might actually get better without, or they might dissipate a little bit." Love it. And then going over to column two, and and, and just kind of circle that. That, that thing in column one. Then go over to column two with tactics and strategies and, and just pick out one thing that would sort of make the other two maybe a little bit irrelevant and then circle that thing. Then do the same thing with columns three and four. And now what you've got is you've got four columns. Each one of them has a circle around one thing. And now you go in there and you find out of these four things that are circled, what's the absolute one thing that if I spent the next 30 days on just busting my butt on, that the rest of my game might just get better as well. 
And I think I think when when people go through that exercise, exercise what they get in is they get this clarity about what they what they should be working on right now, as opposed to, well, what am I going to do to take my entire game up from, you know, if I'm a three five and I want to go, or if I'm a three six or three seven on a good day, I'm playing around three eight or three nine, but usually on a bad day, I'm you know I'm 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 back down there around three four. I think what happens is they 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 kind of look at that level. They want to get up to four zero, and they look at that thing as a big project. Sure. And to me, the big project is, well, let's get clarity because if there's too much going on, then there's confusion. And we know what a confused mind says. It says absolutely no. So you got to get clarity on what that one thing is and and just bang that thing out and and see where you're at after a month or maybe two months of working on it. And you're going to you're going to then go through the exercise again. And I think what you'll find is that some of those things that you wrote down a month or a month or two before, they're already taken care of. Hmm. And and I, I've done this exercise with a lot of guys who whose one thing is over on that on that physical side. Sure. And it's just it's just losing that 15 pounds. And they lose the 15 pounds over however long it takes them, they come back and they go, well those other things I'd written down are completely solved. So um, I'm not sure how we, got, <laughs> I think you're asking me about, um, oh, that's right. Well, about the player who wants to, who wants to move up and it's not, yeah, it's not looking. So look, I mean, that's amazing think, advice by the way, Brent, uh, well, lo- love the narrowing of the focus and, and the specificity, uh, just to clarify, did did you just for myself and also for the audience? Do you recommend that people work on all four columns, like the the circled one thing at the same time, or pick one column and the one thing in that one column at a time? No, no. I, I say you go into because you've got you've got one thing circled in each column. Yeah. And my recommendation is what's 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 the one thing out of just the circled things? Gotcha. So one thing on overall. Right gotcha. Okay. One thing overall, and Love that's it. it. And and what that gives you is 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 clarity. And I know that you know as a as a as a guy who's taught a lot of lessons on the court and done a ton of teaching online that that if if and 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 you know for me the teaching online has been so good for my for my teaching skills because not being able to see a student when we're on the court. I've had to make sure that I'm not doing anything that confuses them. Everything has to be so crystal clear. Yeah. And that if we get off and we start getting into some crazy talk and this or that or trying to trying to teach too much, um, we don't help that student get the result they want. So for me in my game and, and, and what I'm finding with, with my students now is my job is to help them get clarity on the one thing for them that they need to work on. And and yeah, I mean, it could be that after you figured out that one thing in a month or two months, or it might take less, might take more. Well, then you come back and you look at your list and there could be another one of those circled things you go, and this thing's not quite resolved. I'm going to go ahead and knock that one off the list now. I totally agree. O- over the years, helping players, as you said, both in person and online, I'm finding more and more and more that the four areas that are, could be very beneficial for them to focus on is just 
way too much. It's overwhelming. They're competing with each other for the, t- the focused time on the court to actually develop new habits or new strategies or whatever the new pattern is that they're trying to, to manage. And so rather than ask them to keep four balls in the air at one time, one is much more likely to be successful. I'm more and more and more, I'm starting to narrow my focus to a single thing. So I I love super valuable exercise there. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, I didn't mean to derail you there. So uh, uh, other thoughts for the... I I, I just love it because it's now, it's such a passion of mine in terms of coaching and teaching. um, And... And it is helping players get results. So, you know, I mean, I'm pretty fired up about any, you know, I mean, you know that feeling too. When you, when you help someone, you know, solve a problem and get the result they want, it's like, you know, it's just the best. Absolutely. So any other thoughts for the, the transitioning player who's a three, five or four Oh, just wanting that little bit of extra edge, the one, but if you want to just keep it at the one thing that's that's great we definitely have lots more to talk about yeah you know I, I do think that I do think um, I do think everyone's got to get serious about about you know if you're if you're carrying around any extra weight that I just don't get it I mean it's not like golf where you get to stand there and the ball's not moving <laughs> the ball's sitting there right I mean I'm not I'm not disrespecting golf because it's tennis it's, players love ribbing ribbing golfers I yeah. I kind of love it <laughs> yeah but I mean I'm just saying that I'm just saying that uh, you know we have got to we have to visually track a moving ball yeah golfers don't have to do that and we have to be on the move as we're also visually tracking a moving ball so golfers don't have to do that either um so it's really a challenge, and, and if you're carrying around any extra baggage, you might be okay for a set, but if you want to compete and, and get the W at whatever level you're at right now, or if you want to move up, um, you got to get serious about the fact and accept the reality that this is a game of movement. This, Absolutely. It, 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 I mean, that's just it. I don't know how else to put it. I mean... And, and if you're limited movement-wise, and I get it. I mean, some people are weight-wise, they're perfect. They're in the gym all the time. They're doing all the right stuff, but they've got some kind of permanent knee injury or hip thing or something that can't be replaced, then I get it. You know, you've got that, you've got that kind of but, – but at least what you're doing, if you've got that kind of, kind of permanent injury, is you have done the work. You, you are at least – enabling yourself to do the best that you possibly can. And, and, and then after that, it's, it's really, it's, it's much more about, you know, well, what can I do tactically? I can't move as well as I used to. So what can I do tactically? And that to me is thing too. It's like assuming that you got the kitchen right and you got the fitness right is that next thing is tactically is to ask yourself the question, can I make the ball bounce over there at a certain spot, and then can I move to a to the next best court position? And that has nothing to do with stroke technique. I mean, if you can bunt the thing over there, that's the best place to put it, and then move to the better court position that that, that could challenge your opponent with court positioning. Then that's the next thing to work on. And and once you once you have the tactics down, well, then I know where I want to hit it. So. Gosh, Ian, maybe you could help me hit that slice backhand a little better to that same spot, and 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 so that's where the that's kind of where the technique part comes in, and then 
and then after that, it's 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 kind of the mental thing. And and look, I mean, as we as we try to move up, even if we're just going up, you know, small little skill levels, um, you know, there's 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 an acceptance, or there's got to be an acceptance of the learning curve, which is not this really cool, gradual, dependable <laughs> straight line up. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> you mean I can't be there by Thursday? Yeah. Um, and and that's rough. I mean, it's frustrating because people want results, you know, as soon as possible. And and we got to be careful that we don't hype it. Yep. Uh, and create expectations where now they're frustrated because they're not doing it the way that we hyped it in the headline. And so we got to hold their hand and make sure that when they run into that that day or that match or that or that week long period where they feel like they're just there's just no progress going on. Well. Hey, you know, welcome to the welcome to the real world of of trying to get better at something is is you're gonna flatline on some stuff and you might even take a little dip down and then but you gotta hang in there. You just you just gotta hang tough. And I think people who understand that that's the learning curve, they don't fight it, they don't try to measure every day, well, am I getting better? They just assume I've got the right information, I got the right, I got the right uh, teaching method, I've got the right technique, I got the right tactics and strategies. If I do the work, I have to get better. It's just it's just a simple thing, and 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 yet no one can tell you exactly how long it's going to take. So, hmm. so that's kind of that's kind of the mental part of the the whole picture. But yeah, I mean, I, I really think that you got to get serious with all four of those areas. And and to me the to me the fitness thing is really. I think there's so many players out there, Ian. I think you know. I think you probably agree that have got all the tools. They got the, all the technique they need. They understand the tactics and strategies. But physically, they just they can't either sustain it for, you know, they can maybe go for half a set or a set. But but then it then, you know, then then the endurance just kind of falls off the table and next thing you know is all the great technique that they've worked on, they can't get to that ball in the second set. They can't get to that ball in the third set or if they win the match in a tournament, somehow win it the next day they're just they're just toast so yeah so, I'd, I'd love to dig into that a little more but before we start to wrap things up and i wish we had time to dig into all of these all these different areas but it's it's not a four-hour show so unfortunately uh, <laughs> we don't today uh but it would be great to dig back into it more in the future but I, yeah before we we start to wrap things up i'd love to hear your experience with the fitness part of it do you do your fitness training on the court is it off the court is it is it more aerobic or anaerobic like uh is it is it weights is it sprints is it what what does it look like exactly for you right now yeah it's all the above (laughs) it's all the above and and it's interesting now i mean when i was younger i could do some crazy stuff i mean i could go play three four five sets of the berkeley tennis club and then go strap on the running shoes and run the one mile over to, you know, the, the Cal Bear Memorial Stadium and then just run the stairs for half an hour <laughs> the good and old then days. run back and then run back and, and do it again tomorrow. So um, I can't do that anymore. And so what I've found is what's the most amount that I, or what's, what's the most amount I can do and still recover and be really good the next day. Mm. And, and, because if I if I overdo it, <clears throat> if I overdo it in the training, and I want to come out and, and, and play a couple of sets the next day, um, 
it's just not it's just not a high quality day. And and so I'm I'm sort of more now on the side of I'd rather underdo the training on a consistent basis and uh, and make sure that I'm recovered for the next day. And so, you know, my stuff is like, for example, yesterday I went out with a guy and we we did some drills that he wanted to do. And I said, fine. And we would take a break about every, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe every 12 minutes. We'd stop, get a quick drink of water. He'd sit down on the bench and I was doing I was doing stand-ups on the bench, right? Where you'd, nice. uh, I know, I'm not sure if that's the right term for it, but just, just you know, just one leg up. On the bench. Yeah. yeah, I think it's called a step-up. Yeah. So he's yakking away. He's sitting down there, <clears throat> and I'm doing step-ups the whole time. <laughs> and then I just have this thing that if we run out of balls, wherever they are, I'm going to sprint to go get them. Nice. And so to me, the drilling part is we might be working on some technique, or we might be working on a, <clears throat> a, short, a certain shot pattern. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I also want to do what can I turn this into? What what little things can I do today to turn this into also a fitness opportunity as well? And so I will I do some sprints. I do some sprints a little bit differently than just kind of a raw, see how fast I can run. Like I said before, you know, part of the skill that we have to have in tennis is we have to visually track a moving tennis ball while we're on the run. So I do these on the court. Sometimes I've got a I've got another area where I'll do some sprints. But what I do is I find a spot. So if I'm at the one end of the court and I'm a sprint to the other end of the court, what's that? 120 feet. I will find a a spot on that far um, on on the far fence or the or the far windscreen over there. But you know, before I start, and what I do is when I'm sprinting, I'm I am trying to sprint as fast as I can. But seeing can I keep that spot over there as I'm running towards it. Can I keep it from jumping up and down? Mm, love it. To really try to sort of build those muscles as as more shock absorbers in that. So the brain, not the brain, but the head can kind of just float rather than getting jarred up and down. So I, I do, I'll do those probably every other day. I do some simple core stuff. I don't do crazy with the core stuff. I mean, I'll just, I do, I'll take the BOSU ball and I think Tim Ferriss was the one who told me to, you know, just kind of get your butt next to one side of it, and then you just do a back bend over it and touch the back side of the of the floor on on the Bosu ball. I'll do I'll do thirty of those. I'll do for for people at home. The I believe the the Bosu is like flat plastic on one side, and then it's kind of a half uh, sphere, right? Yeah, it's a half dome. It's like the you know, it's just like a half Swiss ball, that big ball that sure. And they've got a hard plastic bottom, so it's stable. But, um, you know, the top of it's a, a kind of a thick vinyl plastic that you can also use. And I also use it, too, to, to, to do some balance stuff on. I think balance for tennis is, is really important work. But I'll just do some I'll, – then I'll do maybe a 60-second plank. Um, I do a few push-ups. I don't really do weights. I should, but I don't. Uh, and, and then I just do a boatload of stretching. I mean, I, I really do a lot of stretching for my lower back. Um, <clears throat> for my hips uh, and then also for the, you know, for the, for the quads and the hamstrings and the calves. And, and I do, I've got a shoulder stretch I do, but all the stretching takes maybe 17, 20 minutes. I do it every, I mean, I do it every, every day when I work out, awesome. whether it's, whether it's off the court or not. And do you, and, do you work out every day as well, whether you're on the court or not? No, no. No, I mean every time I play, I will go do the. I'll do my crunchies. I mean, I'll do my core stuff, and I'll and I'll do the stretching, 
again, that's maybe that's maybe twenty minutes total. It's hardly anything. Okay. Um, but on the days when when I when I don't play tennis, like today when we're done, I mentioned this before we started the recording. I got a mountain bike loop here that I that I take. It's a little bit over an hour. It's about seventy five minutes. But we've got some hills here right outside the door, and it's just for me. It's like really great training for tennis you're getting some aerobic you're getting a bunch of anaerobic you're you're standing up on the bike going uphill a lot you're you're having to be balanced on the bike you're having you know you're you're going through some dirt where you know it's 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 bumpy and you so it works the upper body um i do some stationary biking as well where i got a like a little 22 23 minute routine which is you know, five minutes easy, five minutes medium, and then I do a 60-second anaerobic, and then I do a kind of a three-minute cycle through each one of those, easy, medium, hard. Um, I'll do a few sessions sprinkled in with some core work on, you know, rainy days or something like that. But the big thing for me, Ian, now has been recovery, has really been recovery. And a lot of that is, you know, I'm, I, I've not been stretching for – I've not been a forever stretcher. I mean, I've really just gotten stretching the last, I would say, five years. And it's made a huge difference. I mean, whether I'm playing a league match or a practice match, like I mentioned, or or a tournament match. I mean, the first thing I do afterwards is I stretch. Um, I try to get some vegan protein into my body within the first 30 minutes, and really go through really go through the recovery process because I just want to be at my best the next day, whatever I'm doing. And um, and so. That's kind of my routine. That's my fitness routine. It's it's basically just let's not beat myself up too much because I I could. I mean I could stay out there all day and either train all day or be on the court all day, but I would I would pay the price the next day, and sure. uh, I don't want to do that. Love it, Brent. If I could kind of kind of connect the dots a little bit and thinking back over everything we've talked about over the past almost hour now. I, I think the theme that is arising for me as I as I hear your description of your your game improvements, your your tactical changes, your you've changed the way you you eat and take care of your body, uh, the way you train, the way you recover. For me, I think the big theme that I hope everybody comes away with is it would be incredibly easy for listen all of us are going through some kind of transition right like i'm coming up on 40 really quickly really quickly uh there's there's a lot of people listening that are coming up on 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 I, i know we have followers that are in their 80s that are that are coming up on 90 and so everybody has the the opportunity to either make excuses and say, well, I'm not as young as I used to be. I, I, I can't just roll out of bed and do whatever I want every day anymore. So I guess this is it. I guess it's just kind of downhill from here. Or you can do what Brent has done and very purposefully and with a lot of intention in every area of his game and even his life that he realizes there's uh, an opportunity to improve himself and improve his tennis. He's very methodically figured out for himself what what the biggest opportunities are, what the biggest uh, return on investment is for his own game, his own body, uh, his own development. And you're going out there and putting in the work. So I respect you tremendously for that, Brent. And I, I really appreciate you sharing with, with our listeners 
how it is that you've actually accomplished that. Yeah, well, listen, I, I well, listen. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity to get on this call with you, and and uh, always, always good to talk to you. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the one thing or the one message I would hope everyone would would, would kind of get from uh, today's today's podcast or from this episode is that there's there's always something that we can do. Hmm. There's always something that we can do to get better, and. And you just have to kind of find out what that is. And I think you got to be with the right person too. You got to be with the right coach. Uh, you know, Ian, I know that you understand that for senior players that um, that some trying to work on some things with them is just not it's just not realistic. Sure. You know, I mean, trying to say that we're going to work on the full Western, <laughs> you know, windshield wiper snap uh, snap deal. You know, maybe for a young kid or for, you know, even, a you know, someone in the early 20s, whatever, that's fine. That's that's something that you can model and you can watch it. You can watch the pros do that. But I think for the rest of us that we just have to be realistic about, number one, that there's certain there's certain models that we probably shouldn't copy. And there are there are um, certain pros who either get that or they don't get that. And I think you got to you got to figure that one out. But yeah, I mean, just like you said, um, we are never too old. We are never too injured. Um, we are never too something, whatever it is, to be able to to get a little bit better. Absolutely. And yeah, so I love it. There, any there uh, it any any final thoughts, Brent, or anything that's really important that? I mean, I know, obviously, we didn't touch on everything. Is there anything that we kind of glossed over or, or didn't bring up that you feel is critical to get in before we, we talk about the the giveaway that you have for us? Yeah, no, I think I think we've covered it, man. I mean, you're like an all-star host. This is some good stuff. I, I, I got to learn how to do what you do. This is good. I, I like interviewing. And honestly, I've listened. I, I enjoy studying content and trying to improve my own I, I appreciate i appreciate the compliment um i listened you mentioned tim ferris uh i've listened to his podcast since he's since the day he started and he's improved so much as a, a question asker and an interviewer and uh i like to think I, i've picked up a couple of tips from him along the way no he is he is spectacular uh same with you and you know we've got we got two homes. We got one in Northern California, one in Southern California. And I used to, I used to kind of dread the drive, which is about a seven plus hour drive mm. to and from. And now all I do is I just, <laughs> I just tee up all the podcasts I want to listen to. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned Tim Ferriss. I remember I played uh, played a tournament in Florida one year, and I had an all day trip. I had like three connections from Florida back to California all day, and I listened to Tim Ferriss episodes the entire way across the country awesome and, and it just man the trip was over in a heartbeat yeah it's a fascinating show for those of you who are who are listening and you love the whole self-development and and personal improvement kind of themes then definitely check out the tim tim ferris podcast uh that's two r's and and two s's um basically he just interviews people in all walks of life that are exceptional at, at what they do and kind of breaks it down and tries to get them to articulate exactly how it is that they got to where they are and, and whatever discipline it is. So yeah, really fascinating stuff to listen to. Yeah. And you know, Tim is clearly, you know, a, a big time smarty pants guy. I oh, yeah. mean, the guy is, guy is brilliant. So 
my thought is the more time I can spend around smart people, maybe a little bit will rub off. We can only hope. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Brent, thank you so much. Please, I, I know you've got a, a surprise gift for our listeners. Tell us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so, so I think one of the biggest, and I'm, I'm sure that you would say the same thing as well, Ian, I think one of, one of the big problems, if not the biggest problem out there, uh, is the serve, and specifically the top spin serve. And and I know that a lot of players fear, obviously fear the double fault, but just as much kind of fear that thing of, all right, well, I didn't double fault, but all I can do is just kind of push in this little this little weak second serve that just sort of sits up and allows the, the returner to take advantage of the point, whether yep. it's singles or doubles. So I've put together a video course that really addresses how do you develop the feel for the spin on, on a top spin serve. Got to go through a few fundamentals on it, but they're simple, they're clean. And just like we talked about before, you know, my, my, my whole philosophy on teaching is I don't want to add a bunch of crap to what you already got, what you already got. I actually want to take some stuff away. So um, this, this video course, it's pretty short, but it, it really it details for you how do you get the feel for, for the top spin serve so that at worst case, it's got a high bounce that gets out of the strike zone of that returner. And, and just, you know, worst case, the point starts off neutral, but it does eliminate double faults, practically eliminates double faults, um, but also gives you that confidence that you're, not, you're just not going to throw in a sitter second serve. And if you get really good at it, you know what, who's to say that you can't, you can't uh, start to develop a, you know, a decent, a decent kicker as well. So it's a free course. It is private. Um, on, and all you need to do is just go over to my website, webtennis.com, drop in a first name and email address, click the button and, uh, and you'll get access to that course. Awesome. So that's again, webtennis.com. Where, where else should people be watching what you do, Brent? What's the what are the best places to connect and, and follow what you're doing? So I've got I got three other places. Number one is going to be a YouTube channel, uh, Web Tennis. Yeah, you can just go over to YouTube and just search Web Tennis. Um, you know, I th- I think I started that thing in two thousand seven, <laughs> maybe awesome. something like that. Love it. I mean, I've got well over a thousand videos. They're not all public, but there's a lot of them up there, um, and so. You know, you can just you can just go ahead and spend way too much time over there with that. Um, I'm also uh, Jeff Jacklich and I uh, got this project Gold Ball Hunting, and uh, you can find us at YouTube. We have a YouTube channel Gold Ball Hunting. Um, we've also we've also come up with a video Ian that that you might kind of like. We call it How to Reduce Your Skill Level Range, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier where one day you go out and you play great. And you go home and, honey, guess what? I got this tennis thing figured out. <laughs> right? And she kind of goes, okay, that, that sounds good, babe. All right. You go out and you play the next day and uh, you kind of lay a fat egg. And it wasn't quite like it was the day before. You go home. She looks at you and without a word from you, just go, hmm, not so great today, huh? So I, I've always believed that we play within the skill level range. One day – like we were talking before about the 4-0 guy, he might play on one day up to a 3-8 or 3-9, but then on some days he's down there in the 3-2, 3-3 range. Sure. And, and, and to me, that's where you never build confidence because you don't know from day to day how you're going to play. And so what Jeff and I are really trying to do over at goldballhunting.com is to try to 
help you reduce that skill level range initially by bringing the bottom of that range up to the top. And, and I know that once you do that, once you have the confidence that when you go out, you know that, well, you know, I could, it could be here, but it could be down there, but down there is not anywhere near where it used to be, that that's where you start to build confidence. And that's when I think you can start to make the move up to the next, uh, to the next skill level, whatever that is for you. So, um, if you go over to goldballhunting.com, you can get, you can get access to that, to that video. And then the other thing is I've got a Facebook group, uh, it's called what's the right shot, which we did not talk about today. Um, but is really, is really a series that I'm doing that is, that is based on, is not based on stroke technique. It's, it's, it's based on shot choice and court positioning. And I, I talked about it in the intro. Those, those are some of my favorite videos from you for sure. That's right. Well, I, that's right. You did mention it. So, um, but that's a Facebook group. You can just, I think, I'm not sure how you find it on Facebook. You can, I guess you can go find me first, Brent Abel at Facebook. I've got a personal page or if what's the right shot pops up, you can, you can join the group. So that's, that's where you can find me. I've not figured out Twitter, uh, and Instagram. I just, I don't know about that thing either. So I'm just trying to work on the one thing, Ian. <laughs> I just put in what's the right shot in Facebook and the the group came up right on top. So so yeah, you can just, just do a search for what's the right shot. Cool. Awesome. Brent, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your your insight, your expertise. Really appreciate it. I, I've enjoyed following your content ever since I I started looking for tennis content online a long time ago. So thanks for everything that you've done over the years. And I, I know people will get a lot of benefit from checking you out in all those different places so thanks again and would be great to have you back on in the future i look forward to it thanks ian for more free game improving instruction be sure to check out essentialtennis.com where you'll find hundreds of video audio and written lessons also be sure to subscribe to essential tennis on itunes and youtube where we are the number one resource in the world providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players Thank you so much for listening today. Take care and good luck with your tennis.